Good morning. I didn't say good morning, did I? (laughs) I don't know what sort of things uh, get you excited. We're all wired pretty differently. Uh, What sort of things sort of uh, are on your mind from day and night that you look forward to so much you struggle to sleep and you get so excited about all you can do is tell everyone about it, what's coming. might be a wedding or a grandson, granddaughter being born or something like that. I was, uh, I grew up in a, a family of five. I was one of five and it was usually birthdays and Christmas time. They were those special times and Christmas time especially, it was just so exciting. And there were so many times uh, where the five of us would get all the couches and the chairs from the house and we'd take them all to the lounge room and spread them around and get our blankets and dunas and spread it out all over these dun- over the couches and chairs and create this like big tent and that's where we'd sleep the night once we actually got to sleep we were so excited about Christmas as you grow older different things start to excite you uh, we, I remember getting my first job and, and starting to earn money when I was in year 10 I was cleaning this butcher shop in the Diamond Village shops area in Watsonia for $5 an hour it was $50 at the end of the week. Two hours a day after school washing blood off trays. Amazing work. But it was exciting. And I was excited to tell everyone about it. I was excited to get my licence and start driving a car without mum and dad in the, in the passenger seat. And as we get older, as much as Christmas is still exciting, it um, becomes hard work, becomes hectic. Someone was saying it's 13 Fridays or something till Christmas. Or whatever, there's some short number. And it seems like, I think I was talking to Brett the other week, that it just seems like there's something on every weekend. Like there's something on, you just have to be somewhere. You've got to take the kids somewhere. You have to do something. It's a hectic time. Driving a car isn't as exciting as it used to be when I was 18. Now it's a hassle. Traffic time and one of the most exciting things for for me now is a Saturday at 2pm when there doesn't seem to be anything on and you sort of just flop on the couch and (sighs) (laughs) fall asleep like that and you look forward to these naps (laughs) Uh. as a person who belongs to God There's nothing more exciting than than to know that Jesus is coming again. The Bible has so much to say about Jesus coming to rule and reign and to take those who belong to him, who know him as Saviour and Lord, into an eternity with him. This morning we are finishing our series on the doctrinal statement. And it will be proposed and, and, um, and we're looking to that to be accepted by the church. There's going to be a time of, of feedback, a number of weeks of fe- where you can give feedback and there will be consideration to a appropriate change if need be. Um, but what we're looking at are these last two points, if you can read that hopefully, it's quite small up the back there. Even with glasses, I can't read that. I'm getting old, aren't I? I'm going to turn around. Sorry to be rude. B 
but just read, I'll just read through this. We believe in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church and the establishing of his kingdom on earth. This coming is to be expected at any time and as our blessed hope motivates the Christian to godly living and sacrificial service and energetic mission. And point 13, we believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to the praise, the praise of his glorious grace. You know, all types of, all types of words are associated with end times. And we don't speak about it so much in church from the pulpit. In fact, I was talking to Dad during the week and I was saying this, you know, we're going to be, I'm going to be looking at this, uh, these two statements in our doctrinal statement. And I said, I can't actually remember the last time where I've actually heard a, a sermon on end times. Um, and, and, and walk through the, you know, what scripture is saying from the prophecies from the Old Testament to the New. And we have all sorts of words bandied around, the Antichrist, who is that? The tribulation, premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism. Are the numbers in Revelation symbolic? Are they literal? And today I'm going to cover absolutely everything. No, I'm not, no. Today we're not going to be going through every aspect of the end times and perhaps not even every aspect of those two statements. But I believe there is a time and there will be time to look more closely at prophecies of Old Testament and New that point to the coming of Jesus Christ for his church and his coming to reign and establish his kingdom and to consider our eternity in his presence. But I would want to encourage you this morning uh, to, as you go from here to look at those passages and I'm sure as you look into those passages on those statements they will lead you into even more passages that aren't there and, and it will get you thinking and then looking at the end times and what is to come. This morning I hope we can leave here with an attitude from Titus 2, 12, 13 to live self-controlled sorry to live self-controlled lives upright and godly in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our God and savior Jesus Christ from what we look at this morning i trust that the holy spirit will use to inspire us and teach us and challenge us to be holy and to be excited about what is to come and that we should be ready, not living in ignorance, but in anticipation. Chuck Swindle tells the story of a man who in 1938 ordered an expensive, extremely sensitive barometer from a very respected company in the US. When it arrived, he was really disappointed to discover that the needle dial was stuck on hurricane. And after shaking it several times, nothing changed and he decided to write a scathing letter to the company. He mailed the letter the next day as he went to his office in the city 
And that evening he returned home to find that his barometer was missing along with his house that had been hurtled away by a hurricane. (laughs) Are we ready? Jesus is coming again. Is it what motivates us to holy living? Is it at the centre of our minds day by day? Is it motivating us to live surrendered lives to God? That God would have control in the decisions that we make and the directions that we take. We should be like the Apostle Paul because almost 2,000 years ago, Paul was expecting Christ to come. Paul lived expecting Jesus Christ to come again. That it was fast approaching, it was close at hand. And I know I've said it here before, but Romans 12.2 says that the way that we think will affect the way that we live. The way that we think will affect the way that we behave and live. So if the return of Christ is imminent in my thinking, if I'm thinking that Jesus Christ is coming any time now, then it can only impact me on wanting to live for him and tell others about what's coming. When Jesus Christ calls us home to be in his presence, the size of my house is not important. How much money I have in the bank is insignificant. The job that I thought I was going after that was going to be the best thing for me was means absolutely nothing, useless. Everything will be forgotten. The only thing that will matter is do I belong to Jesus? When he opens the book of life, does he see the name Josh Davies? There will be some who have gone to church for years, who have appeared to be Christians for all we know. And God will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. As you sit here this morning with the knowledge, do you have the knowledge, do you have the understanding that Jesus Christ is your Saviour and Lord? Can you publicly declare like Arun and and Hema did last week that he is my Saviour and my Lord? Today we are in the age of grace, the church age. but there will be a time when there are no more chances to turn to God. The time is coming when the saviour of the world will either say you're destined for eternity with me in my presence or your time is up and you've rejected me. The study of the end times is a consuming passion of so many in the church. Uh, Some have claimed to figure out the the secret of the time. But of course, the day and the hour of the coming of Jesus Christ is not known. It wasn't known by Jesus when he was in the flesh here on earth. Only the Father, he said. 
But the coming is designed not to fuel speculation and theories, but to fuel and drive us to spiritual growth and evangelism that sees us share this exciting news that Jesus is coming. It's not just about this life. Of all the end time events, the, the, the rapture of the church seems to generate the most interest and discussion. And, and we're going to look a little bit of that, of that this morning. The, the, the word rapture actually doesn't appear in the Bible. So I want to ask, where did it come from? Well, this word here, this Greek word that I'm going to try to say is apatio. Apatso or apatso. And it's it, the Greek word used a number of times throughout the, in the New Testament. It translates to caught up or to be taken away by force. And the Latin translation of that is the word rapio, which means to be snatched or to be taken away carried off and that's where from the Latin translation we actually get this word rapture is it before the tribulation is it mid-tribulation is it post-tribulation we is there a tribulation at all what is this time the young church at Thessalonica had questions about this event so Paul addressed their concerns in this passage and while we could take this passage and defend our interpretation of timelines and when things are going to happen that's not the point of that this morning and it wasn't Paul's point either to this people in Thessalonica what is certain is that Jesus is coming again And he's coming to take his people away to be in his presence forever. We read that verse, John 14. Pat read this morning. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may also be with me. You see, Paul's concern for them wasn't just doctrinal but pastoral. His intent wasn't to give a strict detailed description of, of what's to come but to provide comfort to the Thessalonians. And you read in, in John 14 and 1 Corinthians 15 the intent of those passages aren't to give strict guidelines and timelines but to provide comfort of what is to come. When Paul wrote the epistle the Thessalonians had been in Christ and had been Christians for it might have been just a matter of months, perhaps up to up to two to three years. They were young in their faith. And he had taught them about end time events. He had taught them and they knew about the day of the Lord, the judgment on the ungodly, and Christ's return to gather his people to himself. But there were some fears and there were issues about the details of this gathering to Christ which really troubled them. They seemed to be afraid that they had missed it. I can't get that one. 
They seemed to be afraid that they had missed it. Since the persecution that they were suffering, it caused some of them to fear that the day of the Lord was upon them. And there were some false teachers telling them that the day of the Lord was now and so they feared that as they were taught and felt that they, they weren't going to be part of that time, that if they were in that time, then they'd missed what was promised to them, that Jesus was going to take them from this earth. But Paul states and encourages them that the persecution they're experiencing was, was not persecution associated with the day of the Lord. Uh, but he, he, he says to them in, in, two, in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2 and 2 and, in, and also in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 to 4, he warns about the, the suffering that you'll suffer for the gospel, the persecution you'll experience for being a Christian and for standing up for your faith. And what seems to be of a greater concern and what he spends time here teaching them about is concerning the dead. The Thessalonian church were known for their love for each other. They were, they were commended for it. And so it would seem that these, these deaths in the church were quite distressing for them. That would these brothers and sisters who have passed away, would they be second class citizens or have they missed the rapture? Is it not for the dead? And there was some real concern against these young Christians. Their concerns shows that the return of Christ was imminent in their minds as much as it was Paul's. And Paul's concern was that they were uninformed as young believers and ignorant to the truth. Since their grief was based on a lack of knowledge, Paul comforts them by teaching them the truth. He doesn't turn to them and say, you fools, how ridiculous, and rebuke them. It shows the pastoral heart of Paul. He recognises the flock's needs and concerns and he teaches them accordingly and he comforts them. Paul first addresses the issue and the question of those who are asleep. Just to look at some of these words. Cormeo. It can be used in the context of normal sleep and it is used in Matthew, Luke and Acts. But its context more often refers to believers who have died. And it happened and it is in a lot more passages through the New Testament of those who have died. And in verse 14, those who are identified asleep as asleep in him or in your your translation, asleep in Christ. And it wasn't a concern about something that was just happening on that day or just at that time. I'm going forward there. But it was a concern about those who are continually falling asleep. It, this, uh, this other word, koimaminon, is a, a present tense participle. So it's talking about something that is ongoing, an action that is ongoing. 
those who are continually falling asleep, those who are continuing passing away in the church was a concern for these people. And it's also important to remember that in the New Testament, sleep only applies to the body, never to the soul. Among other scriptures, in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul wrote that he preferred rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. In Philippians 1.23, he expressed being torn between two desires, the desire to be with the church in Philippi and to see them grow and mature and the desire to be dead and be with the Lord, which is greater for Paul. And it's with this attitude that Paul is relating this truth to the Thessalonian church so that they would not grieve. It's natural to grieve someone who's passed away because we miss their company and their relationship. But the kind of grief Paul's talking about is the grief like the rest of the world who have no hope. There was no need to grieve like the rest who have no hope. Paul describes unbelievers in Ephesians 2.12 as being without God and without hope. It's a terrifying, hopeless circumstance for the unbeliever when there is death because there is no hope. That's it. They're cut off. There's no genuine hope of reunion. But Christians do not experience the hopeless grief of non-believers. Christians never say a final farewell. As I remember my dad shared in my, at my pop's funeral a number of years ago now, and I never forget just the words at that day, he said, it's not farewell, Dad, but see you soon. Partings in this life for the believer are only temporary. Paul's teaching here was to give them hope and to comfort them when this about talking about this monumental occasion when Christ is coming again. So I want to look at three this morning, three what I've said, what I've titled sort of foundations of the rapture, of this being caught up with Christ when Jesus comes for his people. And I want to look at these from this verse here in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. This blessed hope of the rapture is not based on Paul's speculation and theories. It's certainly not religious mythology or a concocted story by a well-meaning apostle who's trying to nurture and care for some young believers. The amazing truth of the Lord Jesus Christ's return to gather believers upon to himself. I think we, I believe we see here in three truths. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the revelation of Christ. 
Paul's simple statement, we believe that Jesus died, summarises all the richness of Christ's sacrifice, which is the beginning of the foundation for the gathering of the church, that the death of Christ satisfied the demands of God's righteousness, holiness and justice by paying the full penalty for sin of mankind. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you declare that he is your Saviour and Lord, you are now made right with God, not because of what you have done but because of what Jesus has done. And in being made right with God, we are accepted by him to be in his presence because Jesus has paid the price for our sin. Secondly, the resurrection of Christ. We believe that Jesus died. Excuse me. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Christ's resurrection proves that he conquered sin and death. And Jesus Christ has become the source of resurrection life for every believer. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the resurrection and life. In John 14:19, he said, Because I live, you will live also. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 22 and 23, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, for each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Earlier he states very plainly in in chapter 6 verse 14, by his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. In 2 Corinthians 4.14, Paul wrote, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise with us Jesus and present us with you in his presence. The resurrection of Christ indicates that God the Father accepted the sacrifice and Romans 3.26 says he did it to demonstrate his justice. That he who is just can justify anyone who has faith in Jesus. God will treat those who died trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour the same way he treated his son Jesus Christ in his resurrection by resurrecting them. And thirdly, the revelation is of Christ. Paul says, according to the Lord's own word in some other translation it says for this we say to you by the word of the Lord Paul's teaching 
It was a direct revelation from God. We don't know, but possibly by another, by a prophet or through a prophet, but most likely directly to Paul himself. This was a new revelation, an unveiled mystery Paul is declaring to the people here at Thessalonica. The teaching on being caught up with the Lord, Jesus coming to take his church, his people home, is not built on shaky foundations. It's not built on a madman's interpretation or speculation or theory but rather on the most certain foundation of the death, resurrection and revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that's what Paul's about here with this passage. And that's what we're here about this morning, to comfort one another with these words, to get excited about what is to come. The benefit of understanding and, and learning and being taught and inspired by the Holy Spirit about what is to come it isn't to boast about one's eschatological understanding of timelines of the future. Paul's goal in teaching the Thessalonians about Jesus coming again was to comfort them. The God of all comfort grants to all believers the encouraging comfort of knowing that Christ will one day return. And at that time the dead in Christ will be raised, joining with the living saints in experiencing a complete transformation of body and soul and to be with God in his presence forever. You see... Thessalonians, there's no need, Paul saying, to grieve. There's no need to grieve for the dead like the rest of the world do. They're asleep in Christ. And it's a blessed hope. To live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Are you ready to meet your creator, the creator of the universe? Can you leave here this morning certain of just one thing, if anything, just one thing, that the saviour of the world will recognise you and say welcome home good and faithful servant because it will be a terrible, terrible time if he says I never knew you I never knew you doesn't matter how many times you've come here to this place how much money you've put into those bags What matters is if you can declare that Jesus Christ is your Saviour and Lord and confess with your mouth 
that he is your saviour and lord if that is challenging you this morning I would encourage you to talk to someone about that because either way you're making a decision if you get up and don't do anything about it and walk out you're making a decision to say no to the saviour of the world the one who is coming any time now if you're comfortable talking to me or to someone else that you know here please do so this morning I pray Lord and God thank you for your word and the promises that are in it and that it is completely true thank you for the blessed hope we have that Jesus Christ is coming again and this life for 50, 60, 70 years whatever it may be is just temporary and you are preparing a place for those who have come to trust you and place their faith in you as our Saviour and Lord and we live with the great expectation that you are coming again to take us home to be in your presence for eternity Lord challenge us and inspire us through your spirit to be excited about this and to tell others without fear of suffering persecution and shame to stand boldly and declare the truth of the gospel we thank you and praise you and glorify your name in these things and and everything we do in Jesus name Amen